Let's pray together. Father God, we pray now that the same spirit who played a part in resurrecting the son of Jesus, the same spirit who inspired this written word would be the same spirit that falls upon us as we read it and consider it and what it means for us. We pray this, that you would encourage us in hope, hope of the resurrection. Amen. I wonder if you've ever had a computer that has suddenly died on you. I remember the first time that happened to me. I was living in London, Amy and I were. I was studying for my PhD. We were young, we were poor students. And then one day, all of a sudden, that laptop just stopped working. I was young and stupid and naive enough to think that those were the types of things that happened to other people. That was not the type of thing that would happen to me. And as a result, of course, I did not have all of the photos backed up or all the appropriate documents backed up. I did just some of the important ones, and I lost some significant uh, and important things to me. You know, the computer didn't care that it died. It didn't have any emotion. It wasn't a human but the damage that it did in its death has lasting consequences. I think about that as I think about a couple weeks ago, a renowned scientist named Stephen Hawking passed away. Many of you probably read the story about Stephen Hawking. He was a theoretical physicist who was well known for a couple of reasons. Number one, many people uh, believed him to be one of the most intelligent people in the world. Uh, number two, he suffered from ALS pretty severely from a young age, and yet, despite his physical disabilities, was able to explore ideas that uh, many of us would only hope to be able to think about. He sought to figure out the meaning of the universe in what he called the theory of everything. He was a known atheist, and as such, he had some ideas about life and death and the afterlife. And there are many quotes that he had throughout his life, but one that caught my interest as people were recounting his life was this. Hawking once said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There's no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. You know, a lot of people believe, like Hawking believed, that nothing happens when you die. A lot of people believe, like Hawking, that you just cease to exist, and therefore we should make the most of the days that we have on earth while we have them, because when it's over, it truly is all over. And one of the things I appreciated about him, though I disagreed, certainly, is that the questions about life and death and the afterlife lead us into the realm of the most important types of discussions, don't they? These are the discussions that you do not want to ignore. These are the discussions that have implications for you in a very real and tangible way. These are the discussions that you don't want to let pass you by. And this is where the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ on Easter gives us great, great hope as we enter this discussion. The gospel of Christ accomplished through 
the sacrificial death of the perfect Son of God, the victorious resurrection from the dead for the forgiveness of sins was a defining moment in human history and it has implications and informs us what will happen when we too someday die. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about this. And I want to ask you to grab a Bible with me if you haven't done so yet. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you. It's found on page 961. And as you turn there, this chapter of the New Testament explains the meaning of the resurrection to a mixed group of people. A people not too dissimilar from the people of our culture today. Maybe even the people in this room today. Some people believed that the whole story about Jesus' resurrection was a fake. (laughs) And that there is no afterlife and it had no implications for an afterlife. Other people believed that the resurrection of Jesus was real and that it meant everything for the afterlife. It informed what would happen to Christians when they die. And, And others believed in the resurrection of Jesus but didn't believe in an afterlife. They thought that we just cease to exist when it's all over. And so after explaining the logic of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul picks up this interesting analogy that helps inform us what the resurrection means for us today. And so look with me at 1 Corinthians 15, and we will start at verse 20. This is what it says. It says, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then the end comes when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pause there. So Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, or the first fruits of the dead. And it's an interesting description, isn't it? And it clarifies for us the importance and the implications of the resurrection today. And so let's make a couple of observations. The first, when we think about the idea of the first fruits, is obviously the first fruits are the first, right? And as we read the story about Jesus being raised from the dead, it's important to note that the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus raising himself from the dead. In fact, it talks about God raising his son Jesus from the dead by the power of the Spirit. And this resurrection was the first of its kind. Never before had God raised somebody from the dead never to die again. Because Jesus was the first, we see an indication that this was the beginning of something new. This was the beginning of God's renewal of all things 
And in God's renewal, death would not reign. A second observation we can make is that the first fruits are a promise of the remainder that is to come. First fruits are a promise of what is to come. The concept of the first fruits is talked about throughout the Bible, and, and just plainly what it means is that the first fruits are the first part of a crop that the farmers would bring in from the harvest, and as such, they would look and see if the first fruits grow, well then surely there is more to come beyond this. And in Leviticus chapter 19, God commands the people to bring the first fruits of the harvest as a grain offering to God. It was a sign of God's provision and a guarantee that the rest of the harvest would come in the subsequent months. Likewise, people are commanded throughout the Bible to give the first fruits of their income to God. Not, not what's left over, not what you just don't use at the end of the month, but the first fruits. And therefore, trusting that God himself will provide the remainder of what you need. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob looks at his family and he looks at his oldest son, Reuben, and he calls him, Reuben, my oldest son, the first fruits of my strength. Reuben was the promise of many sons to come. In fact, 12 sons whose strength would multiply the strength of their father going forward. And in Romans chapter 8, 23, Christians are said to have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, anticipating greater spiritual fruit to come. And so you get the picture. The idea of the first fruits contains a promise, a promise of what is to come. The first fruits anticipate the rest. The first fruits are the down payment. It's the earnest money. It's the pledge of what is to follow it. And here Jesus is referred to as the first fruits of those who, is, who have died. So how can that be? Well, to put it plainly, what it means is that his resurrection is the first of many resurrections that are to come. For Jesus to be the first fruits of the dead means and guarantees more resurrections are on the way. And when you think about that, the first question that we should all be asking is, is who does that apply to? <laughs> and does it apply to me? And that's where we look at verses 21 and 22. In verses 21 and 22, we see this wonderful parallel between Adam and Jesus. Just as sin entered the world through Adam, the first man, but it's applied to all humanity because Adam is our father, because Adam is our representative head. Therefore, the consequences of sin apply to all humanity in their worst form, which is death. Everyone dies. But just as we are all found in Adam, the parallel that we see in 1 Corinthians 15 is that so too does the resurrection apply to all, at least all who follow Christ. Jesus being fully man and fully God plays a representative role. 
just like the first man, Adam, did. But notice the language here because this is very important. He says in verse 22, in Adam all die. In Christ all shall be made alive. And so the question becomes is how are you found to be in Adam? Well, you're born. (laughs) You're part of the human race. You're in Adam. How are you found to be in Christ? You're found to be in Christ by faith. In Adam, you're born. (laughs) In Christ, by faith. In Adam, by birth. In Christ, by faith. And so we see this in 1 John chapter 5. It says, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Another word for faith is belief, and so in Acts chapter 10, we see in verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Or Romans chapter 6, verse 5, for if we've been united with him, being Jesus, in a death like his, will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Or Jesus himself says in John 6, verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And so you might say this idea of the first fruits and how it applies to us could be stated like this. Faith in the resurrected one guarantees your resurrection as well. Faith in the resurrected one guarantees your resurrection as well. And following that, you see a description in verses 23 through 26 that the resurrected son will establish his kingdom fully someday and we enter into that territory of end times that so many of us are curious about. And so here's just a glimpse. Let's remind ourselves of it. It's talking about the resurrection and the order of the resurrection in verse 23 says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, he's raised first, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And from there, if death is destroyed, but people are raised, then you begin to see a life beyond death, an eternity where God is all in all, a new earth, the perfect is realized, and eternal life is for all who are in it because death has been abolished. You know, sometimes I think that we've lost the longing for the life after this one. Even, even for those of us here today who are Christians, sometimes I feel like we've lost the longing for the next life. 
And maybe, maybe it's because we've done a terrible job describing it, <laughs> what it's like. We, we have these pictures in our mind that it's somehow this place with puffy clouds and weird cherubs flying all around that you think to yourself, that sounds kind of boring. When in fact, the Bible creates a very different picture, a picture of a new earth, a perfect creation that we get to enjoy forever. Or maybe we've lost the longing for the life that is to come because we've been so busy trying to make our lives right now as comfortable as they could possibly be. And we're pretty good at it in some ways. And so we don't feel the need or long for the perfect that is to come. Or maybe, maybe we've lost the longing for the life after this one because we've slowly started to believe like Stephen Hawking. That when the computer parts wear out, the computer just stops working. And that's the end. But we come to a day like Easter and we're reminded We're reminded of the great hope of resurrection. And I'm so happy that the story doesn't just end there. I'm thrilled to see an even better life that is to come. A life that is worth longing for and anticipating. And faith in the resurrected son guarantees your resurrection as well. And the idea that it's eternal in nature is absolutely mind-blowing and hard to comprehend and yet so glorious to consider at the same time that we won't just live a resurrected life for 40 years or 400 years or 4 million years. 400 billion years doesn't scratch the surface of eternity. And it's all because of Jesus who is the first fruits of the dead. And so we see him on Easter. And he's risen from the dead. And the call for us is to put our faith in him, to be found in him, to express our faith to him that he would forgive us of our sins, faith in him that he would restore us into a relationship with God, faith in him for the life that is right now, and faith in him for the life that is to come in eternity. Faith in the resurrected one guarantees your resurrection as well. Because everybody puts their faith in something. And faith is worthless in and of itself unless it has the right foundation. If faith is not properly founded, it can lead to all kinds of disaster. I think of the story of one night many, many years ago, the main highway between Jackson, Mississippi and Vicksburg, the drivers had faith in their cars and faith in the roads and the bridges that they crossed over. And they passed over bridge after bridge at 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. And everything was lovely. And the concrete spans stood firm over the rivers and the bayous, and the cars went on their way. And then all of a sudden, two red taillights melted into the road in front of a trucker, and the car disappeared. And just for a moment before going over the edge, the truck driver himself saw the black gaping hole in the middle of the road that he was on before he too plunged into the stream below. 
breaking the glass, he succeeded in freeing himself. He swam ashore, but before he could reach the highway, another car zoomed off into the gap and vanished. And frantically, he tried to flag down the other drivers, three others as they passed him by, but they ignored the dripping scarecrow of a figure on the side of the highway late at night, and they sped into the void. Each time, there was a single loud splash, sometimes followed by a few hoarse shouts and screams. All the drivers had faith in the bridge that was out. Now tell the story because you need to know that there is only one bridge that crosses the gulf of death. Jesus says, no man comes to the Father but by me. And if that's true, then woe to the person who attempts any other highway. His faith will not carry him to heaven. It will not carry him into the afterlife. His faith must have a proper foundation, the person of Christ. For Stephen Hawking, his faith was in the evolutionary process or the organic nature of things. And by his own admission, that led to nothing. By a biblical description, it leads to something much worse. For some of us here today, our faith or our trust might be in ourselves, that we might be good enough to stand before God. But the Bible makes clear that no amount of good deeds that you could possibly do are good enough for a perfect God because our sin stands in the way and every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of that glory. But the risen Christ, the perfect son, the one who took our sin and gave us his righteousness, who paid the penalty on the cross, who conquered death and rose again from the dead. He is the first fruits of the dead. He is the one that we can put our faith in. And so faith in the resurrected one guarantees your resurrection someday as well. I wonder if your faith is in him. I commend him to you that the questions about what happens next can be answered and a hope for the life after this one can be realized. Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, can guarantee this for you. Let's pray. Father, it's with great joy that we consider our future. It's with great anticipation that we know a resurrection will happen someday. And it's with great comfort that we find the foundation of our faith in Christ. And so we thank you that the same spirit of God that enacted your power in him to raise him from the dead has indeed promised this for those who would believe. Thank you, God, that we can go through life and more easily go through suffering because we know the perfect is yet to come. Thank you, God, that we can go through life and we can more easily give our lives away to you and to others because we know that there is a better life to come. Thank you, God, that we can endure all things because of him who endured the worst on the cross on our behalf and guarantees a better life to come. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. We worship you and praise you in the mighty and powerful name of the resurrected Son, the name of Jesus.
Amen.